Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Joyful Friar podcast. I'm your host, Father Nathan Castle. On this podcast, I alternate between telling a story that is described in one of my Afterlife Interrupted books. This is book one. There's a second in that series and a third one in the works. Sometimes I tell a story. Uh, other times I have guests on. Today is a storytelling day, and I, I always love those because I just love the people that are in these stories. The dream uh, that came, I recorded, and here's how it, it looked. I was in a car stopped at a railroad crossing with no gate or warning signal. Instead of a succession of box cars, flat cars, tank cars, I watched a string of cars trying to cross the train tracks but being hit by trains. It didn't make sequential sense. It made me wonder if these accidents had happened at different times. First, there were older cars, maybe from the 30s or 40s, and then newer ones. There was a sedan from the late 50s or early 60s. Children were crashing through the rear windshield. One was a nine-year-old girl wearing a blue dress with white trim. There were two boys in that wreck. One car had an adult man named Briscoe. He was not given first aid. I came to help him. He was a Catholic and he wanted a blessing. I offered a prayer for him and he started crying. There might have been six or seven different crashes, trains hitting cars. There was a hospital very nearby. There were two quarters on the ground and I awoke. Well, as with all of these stories, I'd first just receive it and write it down quickly. And that's what I did. In this case, I got with a prayer partner, but the prayer partner was my older sister, Mimi. We were in her backyard in suburban Houston. She and my sister Catherine and I all have the same gift of being able to allow our voice to be borrowed long enough for someone to tell their story. So in this one, I wasn't the person assisting with the speech, I was the prayer partner receiving it, which is a little different for me. And then this one is different from others in that even the dream itself suggested that it wasn't about one person or even one event, but a cluster of people who had been killed in a similar way, but perhaps over a long period of time. That seemed self-evident. You can't really tell until you get into it, but that's the way it seemed. So anyway, um, Mimi and I sat in her backyard in, uh, in suburban Houston and said our protective prayers. We never go into this work without St. Michael the Archangel with Holy Mary, St. Dominic and St. Francis, uh, a lot of the angels and Christian saints just to keep us safe. And then we go into prayer. I read the story as I just read it to you. And then we wait to see uh, who emerges. And this one, it took a little time in part because both of us could bring the person through. And then we have to decide where is their energy? Is it on over by you? Is it over by me? Anyway, Mimi uh, felt the presence of a group of people. And she said, they feel stamped. Stamped. Um, I didn't know exactly what that meant, but it certainly sounded unpleasant and uh, frustrating in some way. 
Well, then Mimi looked up at me and out of her mouth came the voice of a man who said, these people want to make me the conductor. I'm not the conductor. I never said I was the conductor. Well, I introduced myself. He seemed a little angry. Uh, I asked about what the quarters were on the ground, and he said that was a, just a play on words. It wasn't money. It was the kind of quarters that you live in, you know, your living quarters. And that the these people, he was in a field of people all in the same place, all of whom had died in collisions between cars and trains. He explained to us that um, that they were all in this place that was so frustrating because it had a train track running right through the center of it, but there was a boulder on the tracks. So they all felt trapped where they were. Um, well, we we I wanted to get acquainted with him, so I, uh, I asked him a little about himself or what happened. And he said, all I did was have a good time. He meant drinking. We just went out for a good time, and I couldn't get back in my body, and I ended up in this place. And I'm not the conductor. Well, I asked, what did he do for work? And he said a little bit of everything, that he was talented, not at one thing in particular, but he could figure things out. Uh, and I said, well, maybe that's why you end up being the person doing the talking today, because you seem to know how to figure things out, and you've got a problem to figure out. How do you get people unstuck from this place where there's a boulder on the train tracks? I asked him, what's your name? And he just said, just call me Buddy. I said, okay, Buddy. Um, well, what, what, let's get to work on this boulder thing. And uh, I said, well, let's see. How would, we, how would we work that? I wonder if there's any kind of a, like a board or a stick that you could make a fulcrum and you know, put it under the edge of the boulder and get everybody to lean against it and maybe push it off the tracks. I thought that was really clever, don't you? Well, he just said, or maybe if I had some heavy equipment, something like construction, like on a construction site, but we don't have anything like that here. So I said, well, have you asked for it? He said, no. Well, it couldn't hurt to ask, could it? Would you mind if I ask? I'll just ask out loud. Um, uh, do you think you'd know how to work heavy equipment if it showed up? And he said, not without the key. I'd need the key. So I said, well, that's a good idea. <laughs> if you need to turn the engine over, it wouldn't do any good to have a piece of equipment that you couldn't even start. So I said a prayer and just said, God, uh, buddy would like to know if he could have a piece of heavy equipment to move this boulder and the key to operate it. And I added, and while we're at it, maybe you could send somebody that knows how to operate it just in case it's uh, it's complicated. So uh, it wasn't very long before buddy perked up and said, well, I'll be, would you look at that? And I said, well, what are you seeing? I don't know what you're seeing. He said, well, it's heavy construction machinery. It's a front end loader. And I said, well, is it yellow? Lots of times they're yellow. And he said, yeah, it is. It's yellow. And there's a guy in the cab and he's waving at me to climb aboard. So uh, he did that. And then he said, um, he he got in and the guy uh, got behind him to kind of lean over his shoulders just to help him make sure he knew what he was doing. And Buddy looked at the boulder and said, look, it's turning into nothing. It's just dissolving into light. And there's a light on the other side of it. And it's coming at us. And I thought, you mean like an unco oncoming train? You guys all got killed by an oncoming train. He said, no, no, it's bright. And it's like a bubble, but there's people inside of it. And I said, does it feel scary? And he said, no. And I, and I said, well, uh, then want, uh, 
let's ask, try asking for somebody, you know, and trust somebody that you feel safe with. And he, and before he could even do that, he said, look, there's my papa, his grandpa. Uh, and, and I said, um, uh, he, he's waving at us for us to follow him. And I said, well, you mean everybody, all the people around you? He said, yeah, it looks like it. I'm telling them all to form a line and hold hands and we'll all go together. It's a really long line of people if they want to come. And I said, well, we used to do something like that when I was a kid, buddy. Did you ever do anything like that on the lawn with a bunch of kids and in a uh, form like Red Rover, Red Rover, when you all get in a line and hold hands? Well, this we used to just do we used to play like we were a train and always it was going too fast and running off the track and everybody's falling down on the lawn. Uh, just the thing kids did. Anyway, uh, it, uh, it was just that fast. He said, it's really a long line of people and they're holding hands. And uh, he said, well, uh, buddy, I told him, it sounds like you're a conductor, buddy. You're having to tell everybody all aboard, come along. And he said, okay, well, we're going now. So this one was about as fast as any that I've been a part of. It was different being in a place where People were in this kind of um, mildly unpleasant, but not punitive place. They were just in a place where the thing that had they had in common was the way that they died violently. I've seen that in other places, but I think this was the first instant of that. Um, well, anyway, in these stories, that was all it was to it. He 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 was unstuck, and and so were some other people that chose to join hands and be pulled by his papa. So. Um, when we decided to put this one in the in book one, my custom is always to ask in a second uh, and uh, and usually final uh, contact with this with a person. Would it be okay if we use your story in a book or tell it publicly somehow? So uh, we we did ask Buddy to do that, uh, and uh, this time uh, it went uh, a little easy he just said we, he, he showed up right away and uh, he said well he was kind of messing with me we were in in texas in his sister's backyard and i thought spoke through the sister and i just said call me buddy i was still a little angry but we asked again if uh, he would give us a real name and he said no let's just stick with buddy buddy works so and it's more true to the moment and i said well yeah okay i'm good with that um he said okay i understand you're writing a book and you're choosing stories that show different ways that this could work um, one of the ways that it can work is that is the way that you saw. I don't know how it works, but uh, I didn't really choose it. Choose landing in the place that I did. I just I just landed there. He was surprised that railroad tracks ended up playing such a big part in his life and his afterlife. Um, but anyway, he just said to us uh, uh, that the people that he was with in that spot. They did talk to each other a little, but not about anything important, just the way that you might chat at a bus stop with somebody as you're waiting for the bus. Um, he said that he he got the drift, that he was uh, he was somehow to be the conductor that day, and he thought he was a pretty unlikely choice. He said, if you'd known me, I never set the world on fire. I, I was not much of a leader, but however, in that moment, however it worked that day, it was I was it. I didn't want to be in charge, but it just seemed like for whatever reason, I was it. Um, he he explained that um, he hasn't seen any of the, those people since. They didn't have anything in common to start with, except that they had died uh, by being hit by a train. Uh, he he was really matter of fact about all of it, and he explained that um, 
that he he did get to meet people afterwards and rest a little bit. He compared it to being uh, to arriving when he, when he did cross. He compared it to be a, the way that you might arrive late in the day after a long trip, and people are excited to see you, but you're exhausted. You're so tired that there's just a little bit of a greeting and then the chance to rest and maybe in the morning wake up and make a plan. So he said that's kind of the way it worked for him on the other end of the story that he got to a place where he was greeted by people, they let him rest, and then it was like morning and it was time to figure out what to do next. He said they treated me like a new arrival because that's what I was. So um, he uh, was in the group, in the company of people that he liked to be with he kind of took stock of himself and said that even though he was never really a ball of fire, that this experience did bring home for him that there was no reason that he always had to hang back and wait for somebody else to act. He he did kind of teach himself that, uh, that well, I'm capable. He compared, uh, he said, it takes gumption. Uh, he said, I was I was kind of a passenger in my own life. I would let, just let it make its way, and occasionally I would steer it a little bit like I was paddling a canoe. But he said sometimes you have to paddle because the canoe will go sideways in the river, and you have to at least steer it. But he he said, I haven't done an awful lot. I just enjoy, am enjoying people's company. I haven't been punished for anything. I haven't seen a throne room or streets of gold and no choirs of angels. Uh, he said that he had seen a few people that he uh, used to know, and was really just uh, kind of a, a chill. He uh, wished us good luck on the book, and that was it. So his story is really pretty simple. Uh, in the end, I just felt like um, he was sort of a salt-of-the-earth guy. He had no pretensions about being somebody of, uh, of any importance. He was just kind of a plain guy. Um, the only thing that qualified him for being the conductor that day was having been killed in the collision of a train and a car, just like everybody else in the scene. It surprised him, but um, he responded in the moment, and he did what the moment called for. So it's not a very long story, and so this is not a very long podcast. But in the follow-up, we'll, next time we'll deal a little bit with a uh, compassionate response to this story from people who heard it and have had questions about it. Uh, lots of people have lost someone in a, a violent, sudden way. When they hear a story like this, sometimes it prompts something that moves through their own woundedness, their own grief. So the next time, we'll look at this story from that point of view. We'll go into it in terms of compassionate response and how this story uh, might help somebody that's moving through a, a painful, sudden grief and wondering about the, uh, the the well-being of the person they love. And then after that, we'll do a, a, yet another podcast on this same story, a third one in, of three, and that one will be a spiritual practice, something from the Catholic Christian tradition that I've been raised in and that I live in, uh, that that uh, might be inspired by this story, some way of responding spiritually that uh, that could be of help to you. So that's it for this uh, short story. If you wanted to read this story in greater detail, 
It's in Afterlife Interrupted, book one. You can find that on Amazon in either a paper book form, an e-reader form, or an uh, an audible book. Uh, and I and my prayer partners gave voice to the story. So that's it for, for now. I wish you well, and thanks for being a part of this today. God bless you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joyful Friar. You can visit me at nathan-castle.com. Send me a message by clicking the contact button. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can make a donation by clicking the donate button. See you next time. God bless.